My name is Allison Felis, and this is I'll Follow You, a podcast featuring light and lively conversations about film, music, and creative culture, coming to you from the People's Republic of Rogers Park on the far northeast side of Chicago. Hello and welcome back, my darlings. This week on the show, I'm delighted to be speaking with a very dear friend, the theatrical impresario and president of NoHo himself, Mr. Paul Storial. Paul is the artistic director for the Defiance Theater Company, the president and founder of the Valley Theater Awards in Los Angeles, and creator of the award-winning stage play The Columbine Project. He's also the creator of the web series Gossip Boy, which you can stream on Amazon Prime, and a successful comedic actor in his own right, having performed for many years in the dinner theater phenomenon Tony and Tina's Wedding, and having recently toured the country as part of the cast of My Big Gay Italian Wedding. And if that's not enough of a full plate for him, Paul is also a Los Angeles elected public official, currently serving as president of the NoHo Neighborhood Council, an advisory board created by the Los Angeles City Charter to provide improved access to government and make government more responsive to local needs in the North Hollywood community. Today, we chat about how to create a little bit of healthy antagonism among your cast during rehearsals, establishing a container for catharsis in a live theater space, and the secret of never having to audition as an actor ever again. And blackout. So, hi, Paul. Thank you so much for being with me today here on on the podcast. Thank you so much for having me, Allison. I've, <laughs> I've, I've been listening to your podcasts. They're great. Oh, thank you for saying so. I'm glad that someone is listening. <laughs> I shouldn't say that. People are listening. I know people are listening. I feel like I know your guests somehow. Well, that's good. I mean, There's you do someone. know some of them, like, personally, but... Um, well, I'm so excited to have you on here today because, like, we were sort of chatting, um, beforehand about, like, people becoming adults and, (laughs) and, and so it's like, you know, I don't want to talk about, like, oh, the years that we've known each other and stuff like that, but, like, you know, we've known each other for a while and, like, seeing, seeing each other sort of grow into the people that we've become, um, is a very beautiful thing. And I feel like in the years that we've known each other, you have traversed many miles, both physically and sort of um, creatively. So I'm excited to get to talk to you about like everything that you're up to. Yeah, I'm excited about this. Um, But speaking of the um, everybody becoming adults, the people that I did know that I listened to on your podcast, like it's crazy how they, it's just crazy hearing, you know, when we, we knew each other as kids pretty much and they're so adult now. <laughs> but I also sort of feel like we're all sort of becoming the people that you could imagine us becoming, you know? It's like there's there's <laughs> so a through true. line. Like there's there's a way that it makes sense, like the way that people grow into sort of like the stuff that they do. And it's like, oh, of course that's where you were headed. Like I may not have been able to predict that, but it makes sense, you know? That's so true. That's so true. Yeah, you're right. Well, and it's like super true of you because like, you know, I, I've always known you as this like creative and um, 
you know, sort of a, a leader of men, shall we say. And and you, like, that's what you do. Like, you're a professional creative person and you're also, like, in charge of a lot of things. So do you want to just sort of, like, give us the the high points just to start off with and we can kind of spider off from there? Yeah, so, um, so oh boy, a lot of leading, a lot of leading. Um, never imagined myself uh, to be a leader. I guess I have because I'm kind of a bossy person, but... um uh, uh, where do we start? Um, I got involved in theater, um, back in 2006 here in LA. Actually, I moved here in 2005, um, and started to direct and produce shows on my own because when I first moved here, I, uh, got into the mortgage industry. So I had a little bit of money to spend and I was like, theater, that's where I need to do, we, that's where this money needs to go. Um, and so I started uh, managing a theater uh, for somebody as I was producing. And then word spread through the community that uh, he's a good manager. And so then now I have six theaters that I manage. Two, two different owners, um, but not the original. So I became a leader in the arts community here in the NoHo Arts District in LA. And I always uh, call you the president of NoHo because <laughs> that's what you are to me in my, in my brain. Well, I am. I'm the president of the neighborhood council. <laughs> um, I'm the, pr- they, they used to call me the mayor. And then when I got the president, um, it wasn't so uh, the mayor just wasn't good enough for me. So I'm just kidding. Um, but now I am uh, the president of the Neighborhood Council. The Neighborhood Council is a system in Los Angeles where it is a elected uh, public official. You're elected through the city clerk's office. There are elections and there are people that are running for seats in each neighborhood has a neighborhood council. So basically your community is voting uh, for you to represent them in their best interest. Our board is 23 people. Um, who live, work, and who live and work in the community, and I've been fortunate enough to be on this board for five, no, six years now. Uh, president for three, and it it just gives you because you work with the city councilman's office um, for your area, and you get to see things from a completely different perspective. The creation of this was so that the uh, communities were able to have a say-so in what happens in their neighborhood. And so you vote on things like, does it enhance your community? Does it make your community look bad? And it's really, it's, it's really an amazing thing. It kind of puts the power into the hands of the people who live and work in the community. So, um, so yeah, that's what I've been doing. Very busy. <laughs> Well, I just, to me, like, I love the combination of, like, the way that you've been able to take, you know, I I think of you as this creative actor, director, writer, person, but then it makes so much sense then that you're in this, like, council, you know, neighborhood council situation where, you know, you're basically sort of directing. I mean, that's kind of what you do, like, just in this more sort of governmental capacity. So it seems like this, like, perfect marriage of, like, 
taking your strengths and sort of like turning them outward into the community. Oh my God. I'm taking everything I learned from theater and putting it into it. Um, for instance, uh, you know, nobody can be more dramatic than I can. So um, I, I know how to, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's the same as theater because what you're doing is you're, you're managing personalities. And when you're, right. produ- when you're producing a play or directing a play, um, it's not just uh, blocking and, and making a great show, but it's also managing the different personalities and knowing how to talk to this person. And that's very much different from talking to that person, how to, you know, in directing. Um, it's the same thing on this. It's, you know, everybody has their own opinions and and, and that's, that's great. Um, but how they voice their opinions is is a different animal. And so you have to kind of manage the personalities and make sure everybody's happy. I make sure everyone's happy. That's all I want to do. Are you happy? Are you happy? That makes me happy. (laughs) But then that gets people pulling in the same direction, you know, which is again, another skill that you need from theater. Like everyone needs to be pointed at the same goal. And I can imagine that's, that's similar with the council stuff. It is true. It is very true. Um, Yeah. It's fun. It's fun. I have a great time. I've never missed a board meeting. It is so fun. I have a great time. In fact, it's, you know, it's non-pay. It's, you know, you don't, you don't get paid for this. Uh, but, you know, there's food at the meetings. Um, but the, the great thing about it is having a say and, and being a leader in your community and making changes that are really important. Um, we have a huge uh development situation going on here so our neighborhood has been gentrified since i've lived here gentrified two thousand percent it's it's insane um when i first moved here i could stand on the street at eight o'clock p.m and there'd be not a sound now it's there's oh my gosh it's we went from one bar to choose from and now we have about 13 or 15 in, in within one street, one block. Um, and the noise level is crazy, which turns me into an old man where I'm like, uh, get off my sidewalk, kids. This isn't what it always used to be. Well, you are so. amazing. I mean, like when, so just for a little bit of background context, like I hadn't seen you in like years and years and years since you moved away from Chicago and moved to LA, like you said, in t- 2005. Um, and I hadn't seen you since then. And uh, and when I my partner Brian and I were in Los Angeles the summer of 2018, and you very kindly like took us on a tour of you know the little theaters. Well, I shouldn't say little theaters, but the theaters that you manage, and um, which was amazing. And then you very generously helped set us up a show at one of the theaters. And as we were then you know when we came back six months later or whatever, and you were kind of like okay, we'll do this when you come in and then do this and make sure. And just like the way that you were, you were sort of able to play the neighborhood like an instrument. Like you, you're you're really like profound at knowing like, okay, well, this is like, don't put a sign on the door that says the show is free because you're going to get like creepy bums coming in. And just like the, you're, the, the level of your awareness of, of how to do that is like, it was so cool to like watch you just like be in your element in that way. Oh my God. It's so frustrating and stressful to know all that stuff too, because people, they come in, you know, and by the way, you guys were amazing. And it was so nice to have you guys at our theater. It, it was such a pleasant, it wasn't, there was no fr- stress for me because you guys already had a show. 
ready. <laughs> um, but man, it was so nice to to hear you guys interact with the audience and and tell your stories and your music and and seeing people I haven't seen in a long time that came to see uh, your show, Nick um, and, and his uh, his partner. My God, it was so nice to see them. And isn't he wonderful? His he's partner. wonderful. Oh um, yeah. Bill well, Nick, Benson. Nick, of course, but, <laughs> but Bill, he's such a nice guy. Um, but it was so nice to have you guys. Thank you for doing that. I should be thanking you, not not the other way around. Um, and that was, I mean, that was like a really, I mean, again, not to like dwell on this thing. Well, actually, I'll put a link in the show notes to, um, we've got the whole uh, performance recorded and up on YouTube so people can sort of, it's not the vibe of being in the room. It's always different when you see a, a playback. But um, no, that was really, it, it that show was really special for us too because I feel like it was sort of like, um, like achievement unlocked. It was like it in doing that show, it sort of, pointed a way forward for us as musicians to sort of like this new level of performance that we're still sort of getting getting our heads around where you know it's like taking my background in like musical theater and jazz and that kind of stuff and then taking Brian's sort of like punk rock DIY ethos and sort of like you know, he's always been very good about like really being really scrappy about like setting up his own shows in Chicago and, and elsewhere and combining those two sort of like in this black box theater environment. It just felt like, oh, there's like way more to explore in this. And so we're sort of, yeah, we're very indebted to you for like giving us that opportunity because we, you know, wouldn't I mean, we would have done something else, but it was cool to do it specifically there because it sort of felt like, OK, this is this is pointing us towards like a new way to meld what we do together. It's interesting because people from my, uh, you know, I, I think of you as from my childhood, I guess, but I guess it wasn't childhood. I guess it was more closer to adulthood. But um, when when we uh, knew each other back in the day, um, but people from my childhood, people from my neighborhood, people, Italian people, it's immediately family. If if someone were, you know, we, you know, we did a lot of theater together, you and I, um, and you're automatically family. And so when, when you were like, Hey, I'm coming to LA. Um, it's like, like the olive garden, man. When you're here, you're family. <laughs> I love it. So and you, it ma- nice. and you made it feel like that. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's what, I mean, I don't, I don't care. Even, you know, even if, even if uh, somebody I didn't like in high school, I'd be, I'd still be your family. Come, come your family. I may not like, liked you very much back then but wow you're an adult now so <laughs> i'm kidding i loved everybody in high school there's nobody i didn't like it's very politic of you to say <laughs> <laughs> it is um, it is true though now that i look back at everything like i don't know if i didn't like anyone but but it's true like there was nobody that i look back at and say i didn't like that person everybody was wonderful but it's theater that's the magic of theater like what there's no a-holes in theater usually. Maybe there are like later on in their careers, but everybody's just trying to have fun. And that's what's great about theater. When, you know, I, I teach an improv uh, class uh, here in LA and it's for people who, and it's free and it's for people who just moved here. I mean, mm. any, anybody can join, but it's usually for people who just moved here to find their people because it's hard to make friends when you first move to L.A. So it's it's where people can find their people. And I'm very proud, by the way, to say I have a uh, – there were two people who met, and they have two babies now from meeting at my improv class. 
Oh, I was going to say, like, I bet you have a lot of sort of like relationships that have blossomed out of that. That's my favorite part is watching people get together. <laughs> it's my favorite. <laughs> it's my favorite part. Um, setting people up or not setting people up, but just watching, you know, when, when, when I start a show, I see all these people coming to do like a, a, a reading and I'm like, they have no idea how awesome each other are. Like mm. I, I'll know them from different from different places, but they won't know each other. And I get so excited. I'm like, these two people are going to be best friends. And I'm just like waiting for them to start these amazing friendships. Um, Because as you know, friendships through theater last forever. You may not do another show with them again, but (laughs) um, it's just, it's, I love theater. It's great for every, every reason, including that. Well, so, yeah, like, let's talk more about sort of the theater that you do. I mean, because, you know, I, again, like you said, we we performed theater together for uh, a number of years when we were younger. And um, I shouldn't say younger when we were when we first met. Um, we're still very young. Kids. And uh, <laughs> and uh, but I but now you sort of focus more on the directing and acting or, or how what what percentage of that breaks down for you? Like, it's interesting because um, when I moved out here, I moved out here to be an actor, of course. But um, I started to get into theater because I wanted to start producing shows. The easiest way to get into a show is to create your own show. Um, And you don't have to worry about anybody not casting you. So I started to do that. And then I realized I can't be in it and direct it, but I want the show to be good. So how about if I just direct them? And then once in a while, I may show up, you know, in a a show or two. So um, I got into just producing shows I, I act like if a friend asks me to be in a project I'll go act in it um, I toured actually recently with a sh- with an off-broadway show called my big gay Italian wedding um, the New York cast was going around the country in a few cities and um, needed a uh, um, the, the best character in the show, I believe, Maurizio. And so I went to Florida and New Jersey um, with that off-Broadway cast there. That was the most fun I've had since I was in Chicago. I did Tony and Tina's. It was the most fun I've had since then. Mm. Um, but uh, producing shows, so I, I write too, and I write, I wrote uh, The Columbine Project. Um, which which went, is a huge deal and which we should definitely like talk about. It was a huge deal. Um, I mean, it still is, yes. Uh, back in 2009, we went off Broadway. We did the L.A. Uh, premiere. And then a couple months later, we went off Broadway and did it at the Actors Temple Theater um, in basically Times Square for that last, I think, four months, five months. And then um, and we've done it almost every year since then just to remind people, hey, um, this happened. The uh, and then a couple of other plays, um, both successful and some not so successful. Uh, and so that's what uh, I do. I, I write, and then sometimes I will um, do a show that everybody knows or nobody has ever heard of, depending on my mood, I guess, at the time. Well, and I think that um, your having started as an actor, I think, makes you really uniquely well suited to being a director because it's like you're used to being on the receiving end of direction. And so, you know, 
I don't know, like when when we were talking, um, when uh, when Brian and I were out in L.A. and and you were just sort of like, you know, casually telling me stories about like shows that you're putting up at the time or whatever. And just the way that you know how to work with people is like really astounding and really subtle and and really I think I I mean I haven't seen any of the shows that you've um directed obviously um just because of distance but um I just have to imagine that it it just really puts these shows into the next stratosphere just because like you're really good at at getting getting to the heart of what makes a theatrical space um work well right well so here's what I'm really bad at and and I'll be honest I'm I'm not the greatest director because I'm really bad at communication, getting my thoughts. Um, when I'm working with a cast, my, uh, my thoughts are very complete in my head, but I'm not very good at getting them out of my mouth correctly. Um, so it takes a little while. However, I'm a, what I, what I do pat myself on the back is having the picture and knowing what, will work and what won't work. And so I learned that the people who can deal with that are the ones I work with and they know me. So they know what to expect. And so now with the same actors I always work with, um, it's much more, much easier to, um, cause what happens in my brain is I'll be telling you something. I'll be explaining something very well and then all of a sudden something comes into my head that loses focus. And then I just sit there for a second, like a deer in headlights. I'm like, oh no, I forgot to, you know, take the coffee off the, or the tea off the stove or, you know what I mean? Something like that where all other thoughts go away and then I have to come back to the thoughts. So I'm, I, it's the way my brain works. So I'm not a great communicator as a director, but the final show is great. <laughs> <laughs> But I think that you also, I mean, I think that you're selling yourself short because I think you do, you do have a way of understanding like, like what bonds a cast together. And like, and like you were saying, you know, at the top of the show about like sort of these, these improv classes that you teach and like getting, getting the opportunity, opportunity to um, connect people to each other like that. I mean, almost, you know, I mean, obviously everyone wants a show to be good, but like you were saying, creating these like lifelong bonds among among people who perform together like that, you seem to have like a real sixth sense for like, like you yeah. even said, like creating momentary antagonism against you. Like if you say something really outrageous, I was like, wow, that's really a perceptive way to. When did I tell you that? that? That's great. You, rem <laughs> you, you remember that I said that? I do because I thought it was so genius. So that's that's a funny uh, thing that you caught and kept with you because I've never really told other many people about that. So what what I do is am I am I spilling your beans? Should no, I, no, no. This out? <laughs> no, that's great. Let's get it out. Um, so if if there's a cast, you're talking about if there's a cast problem, like two people aren't getting along. Is that what you're talking I, about? Or I think that you even just in in terms of sort of like, um, you know, yeah, like bo bonding the cast together so that they have something to talk about later. I think is that's the way right. That you, you okay. said it, yeah. So here's the thing. I, I'm not, look, I loved, and I learned it from my, so my directors in high school were amazing people. They still are amazing people. But what I noticed was when something went wrong and like we were yelled at or something, everybody would come together and start talking about what it was. 
Um, in when I was in Tony and Tina's wedding, our director was very. Um, he would throw chairs. He would get crazy, but at the same time, the cast would come together and talk about it and laugh about it and and bond. And so I learned a long time ago, if there's an issue with your cast, if people aren't getting along, um, make sure they bond. And if it's over you, great. You can be the, <laughs> you be the villain, but at the end of the day, they're going to get along. And, and on stage, it's going gonna, it's gonna to work better for them on stage. I learned that from my previous directors to when I started directing. There was another director, um, I forgot his name, John um, something. Um, those those three directors who were great directors, um, but I learned that people will talk about you. You're the director. You're the leader. They're always going to talk about the leader of whatever group it is. And so, it, it, I guess it's a little bit manipulation. But you know, you got you got to have a good show. Um, they will bond over the stories. And so if you give them a great story to tell. So when I was directing Columbine Project, I was thinking during a scene, it wasn't great and it wasn't bad, but I wanted them to bond and be better on stage. So I said, and I had this line ready for me. I had this line ready to say. It's not like I just thought of it. I was like, "What? I need to give them a line where they can laugh at later together. And the line was, I want to gouge my eyes out with a potato peeler. <laughs> and they still talk about it. Mm. And I'm telling you, after I said that, the scene was the best it has ever been in all the productions of the show. So oh there's a little bit of manipulation when you're a director or a leader. You have to make sure that you know you have the tools to get them to do things without actually... Um, you know, you go to the, you know, drum dramatically get them to do what you need to do. But bonding, yes, thank you for noticing that. Thank you for remembering that. That bonding is, you know, it's the leader's responsibility to get them to bond and you got to do whatever you have to do. Well, and I just, um, right over the holidays, right in December, um, I just read uh, the new oral history of Mike Nichols, uh, the actor and director and writer. And he, like all like all the stories about him are basically the same, that all the actors would say like, yeah, you wouldn't know that anything was happening. You would just be having a conversation with Mike about, you know, some topic. And then suddenly you go back to do the scene and you were better than you were before. And it was just through this like osmosis process of being around him. So I don't know, like, I'm just saying that, like, I'm thinking of like you and Mike Nichols, like in the same breath right now oh, in terms of like managing, managing actors. Yeah. <laughs> the, but, you know, don't, don't, don't be mistaken. They're all absolutely wonderful. All the actors I've ever worked with um, are just amazing. I mean, there's the bad ones, but I've never worked with them again. The the ones that I work with on a continual basis, they're just incredible people, and I just want to see them succeed. Well, which, and that's which, by the way, cat is out of the bag, so I can tell you this: the owner of because I don't own these theaters, I just manage them. The owner of the theater you were in is now the villain. He just got cast as the villain. In the new Jurassic Park. Oh, cool! <laughs> That's cool. Yeah, it's not cool. He's a I, he's a real working actor, so it's great to see friends like get get to success. You know what I mean? 
Well, and I love that you're, you know, specifically doing theater in L.A. because it feels like this, like, sneaky way to, like, sneak artistry into that town, <laughs> you know, which it's like the town is so much about, like, money and prestige and, and you know, who's hustling who and whatever. And I love that, like, you're just like, all right, well, I'm just going to do theater over here and it's going to, like, be this little pocket of sort of, like, weirdness and cool art that's, like, happening sort of a little bit under the radar. But then you have these peaks where, you know, a lot of, you know, there's there's that guy and then there's other friends of yours who've been in you know big broadway shows and big uh tv shows and stuff yeah um i could the list goes on and on um but speaking of theater uh one more little uh lift of somebody um in 2009 i directed a play or 2007 i directed a play called twist a musical rock opera out of new york and i cast someone from chicago uh who was here and now she's the first transgender to ever be in the Broadway show Wicked. She's in on Broadway right now doing Wicked. Oh, it's amazing. Um, and so you see these people, you know, go from, you know, this small intimate theater. And in just a few years, they're, you know, huge. It's, it's my favorite. It's one of my favorite things to see happen uh, besides the relationship thing. Um is to watch it, but but and and by the way, Allison, theater's not as wonderful and glamorous as as <laughs> it may seem right now. It's not like <laughs> I'm not making you know billions off a of theater in LA, uh, but it's it's um it's fun. It's what to do while you're waiting for your next big film gig for people here. But, like, I think that that's what is cool about it. I mean, because that's sort of, like, all the people that I've been, like, really trying to gather to do um, this podcast and, and, and talk with are people who are sort of doing doing things because they're obsessed or doing things because they um, need an outlet in, in whatever way it may be. And so like, I, I do, I find that energy interesting. The fact that like you're in LA doing theater and like, yeah, you're not getting rich, but it's like, there's clearly something there that's enriching you on another level beyond money, which is like why you keep doing it. And so like, that's, I, I like the idea of lean, leaning into like, whatever that is for you. And it's really building relationships with people because, you know, it, it takes about 10 years for someone to be uh, a celebrity or, or get to be very successful. It takes about 10 years. So if you're here in more than 10 years, you're watching all these people that you've hung out with and know, you know, become these great celebrities or, you know, they get a big gig on a sitcom or whatever. Um, and, and, what theater does is it creates these relationships with each other where say somebody becomes a casting director and they're like, Hey, I worked with you, you know, for so long. And now, you know, I'm going to put you in this thing because I know you and I know that I can trust you. And, and it's building these relationships. Uh, every film gig that I've gotten or TV gig is, is from the theater. I, I don't I don't actively audition for anything. I don't think I don't even remember the last audition I went on. It's from knowing people who've seen me in this play or know that, you know, I could do this role or whatever. Um, and that so basically you are sitting around and someone is gonna knock on your door while you're sitting around. They say they say, you know, no one's gonna 
cast you if you just sit around in your room all day. Well, when you have really great relationships with people, you, <laughs> you can actually sit in your room and wait for the call. Oh, uh, that's really cool. So that's, that's what's great about theater, especially if you just moved to L.A. and, and, and you – you know, you're just starting out, do as much theater as possible because it's the relationships you make with the people. Plus you get to uh, practice and experience, you know, that's awesome. Well, so let's, let's rewind back. Like, do you mind like talking us through like your Tony and Tina's wedding years a little bit? Yeah. Um, I think it was 2000. I auditioned for Tony and Tina's wedding when it was, you know, every weekend, every week, uh, at Piper's alley. And, uh, I did that for five years with two breaks. And by break, I mean uh, moving and then coming back and joining the show again. Uh, short breaks, though. And that was incredible. What do you want to know about it? It was so much fun. I mean, just talk us through sort of, yeah, what the process was, because that seems like, you know, it's not a play where you get up on stage and just sort of say your lines and then go home. I mean, there's this whole interactive component to it. So it's like it's improv, but it's also sort of like crowd management and and <sighs> and uh, and yeah, and improv. And but then also, I'm sure having to like hit your hit your blocking and hit your moments and stuff. And it changed my life. I, you know, when, when I was in Tony and Tina's wedding, I worked with some of the most incredible comics I've known to this day, comedic actors. Um, so basically it's an interactive wedding. You're actually going to the wedding of Tony and Tina and you, as an actor, you, you know, the story, you have something that, you know, a Bible, basically a bios of each character, you know, every character. So while you're, while you're interacting with the audience, you know, a story, and so you're telling them the story so that when another actor comes around and starts telling the story, uh, you're on the same page. So you're not telling two different stories. You know the story and you can play with that story. Because um, so most of it's scripted. The church is mostly scripted. Um, and then you go into the ball, uh, to the reception. And then while everybody's eating, you just go around and tell the story of Tony and Tina and all their friends. Um, I played Tina's brother. Uh, her gay brother who is a dance fiend I couldn't dance but I guess I made do with what I could do which was basically goofy um, and so when I auditioned so I saw it when I was 18 right when I got out of high school I saw the show it had just opened and that character I, I looked at that character and I was like that is the best character I want to play that character <laughs> I want to play that character someday and so the auditions came up and uh, I got in to play that character and and each character is actually played by about three different actors so you mm. each actor plays three different roles about so you every day you go in you find out which character you're playing that day um, is so, that just to keep it fresh like what's the philosophy behind that so if somebody like can't do the show, um, it's fine. It's covered. So there's a staff. So when you first start, you get put on the cater waiter list. Um, so you're a cater waiter. So you have a character as the cater waiter, but basically you're just doing all the staff stuff. Yeah. Um, but you still have a character, so it's still fun. Um, and then, you know, if somebody's missing, they just move the actors up. They adjust it. Somebody that's cater waiter gets a chance to play one of the roles, um, that they've been studying. And then, uh, you know, it, but it's also to keep the show fresh. So it, no show is ever the same. So how was it like working like with, with the crowd every night like that? 
I learned so much. I actually do stand up now. Um, hold on, there's a plane. Um, I actually do stand up now, uh, working the crowd. And so I learned so much from that that I'm never shy to just have a conversation with mm. the people. You know what I mean? Um, yeah. It's great. So Frankie Avalon would come uh, once a year for a week and do shows. And when those shows happened, there wasn't any room in the place. So, <laughs> uh, everybody loved Frankie. It, it was known as Frankie Week. And so <laughs> we would, you know, working with those people is hard because they came to see Frankie. They didn't come to see your stupid little um, little skit. Um and so it was very difficult. It was it was a blast, though, man. I had a blast working with the crowd. It was great. Because I, I used to be kind of a shy person. I, I didn't really want to have conversations with uh, strangers. But when, you, when you're playing a character, it's very different. Once you're playing a character, you are that character. So that character is outgoing. You don't have to worry about it. <laughs> you just sit back. And as long as you know what you're talking about, you're good. But I worked, so, I, I worked, oh, go ahead. I, and, and you know, who was in the show with me was, uh, I'm a, I'm a name dropper today. I don't know why. Um, Do it. Jeff Morrow, the sandwich King. <laughs> I don't know who that is. He, he won the food network star. He's very famous in Chicago. Okay. All right. Um, <laughs> it, when I moved to LA, cause it, the show is so much fun. You like, you leave and you're just filled with adrenaline. Um, when I moved to LA, I created a show uh very similar but a gay wedding um because i wanted that fun again and i wanted other actors in la to see what fun it is to interact mm. with the audience at a wedding i love wedding shows wedding shows are my favorite um and um this theater company that I created it with they had a little church on the side and so i was like this is the perfect place so um I created all the characters. I created all the bios. I knew how to do it. And then I swear to God, they said, you know what? We don't need you. I went to New York uh, to do the Columbine project. And when I came back, they said, we don't need you anymore. The show is ours now. And they stole my show. Yeah, you got into some legal wrangling with them, didn't you? Yeah, well, no, because I, I couldn't afford a lawyer, of course. But my sister called me from Ohio one day. She said, hey, there's a there's a show over here that they're doing that's very similar to the one you did. And I said, what? And she sent me a, a clip of a newspaper, and it was my show. These yeah. were – what, what was crazy about it was my – I had names from my family, names from my history. These characters were named after people I knew. And so it was hard for them to um, to deny it. But they still, to this day, you know, there were some newspaper articles that said I was right, um, obviously. But um, they still, to this day, like, I'm just waiting for them to do it again. I'm like, come on. I know lawyers now. Come on. Bring it on. Um, but it's hard when you're, when it's, you know, it's hard to prove. I can prove it. 100% uh, because the original program said created by. Um, and then the next time they did it, the, it said additional material by. Oh, um, burn. Come on, guys. I know. I know. See, they, they're some crazy folks. Crazy folks. But I think they're gone now. So we'll see. 
Well, so as we're talking about sort of, you know, I mean, I wouldn't call this a greatest hits, but, you know, <laughs> like, you know, something that was that that came from you and that, you know, turned out to be a big deal, even um, even though they scammed you out of it. But, yeah, talk us through a little bit of uh, the Columbine Project and how that came to be. And, and like I said, how it became such a such a big success. When I moved to L.A. Um, on my way here the first time, by the way, I, I, this is my third time. Um when I moved here the first time, we, my, uh, a good friend of mine and I drove a U-Haul and it was, I had just gotten off a tour with a, a children's show. We toured the Midwest and that's when Columbine happened. And then we were moving two weeks later. So on the exact two week anniversary, it was the first day they all went back to school. Actually, I'll never oh, forget Jesus. that. We, we went there and we saw everything now i mean we saw like you know the the aftermath and the news trucks and the people and we toured the campus and it was insane and being young idiots on our way there we were like oh yeah this is gonna be so cool we're gonna see where it happened as soon as we drove into the town that stopped that immaturity of the situation stopped sure. you, you could feel it. It, it i've never felt anything like it since it was two o'clock in the morning and we were trying to find a little hotel in the area and we could just feel the sadness. Um, and then when we toured it, we felt, you know, we saw that it was a real thing that really happened and it was very sad and that never left me. That was, I think, two th- 1999. Yeah. 1999. Duh. Um, and, the and then ten years later, I was like, I'm going to write a play about it, get this out of my system. And then I interviewed uh, some of the victims and did a lot of research, read all the books, and then wrote this play, the docudrama, what really happened that nobody really knew of, that nobody nobody ever reported on. Um, and then. So the Rachel Scott, her father saw it. His, her father and mother saw it. She was the first person killed. They came and saw it and did a Q&A with us afterwards. Hmm. Um, anyway, and then we thought, hey, let's go to New York and do this. And so we went to New York and, do, and did it. And by the way, the success of the Columbine Project um, was one of my good, good, good close friends, producing partner at the time, uh, Bree. Pavey, she actually was responsible for much of the success of that show. She um, is the one who spearheaded the New York trip. She's the one mm. who arranged everything. She's the one who hundreds of thousands, hundreds of thousands of dollars of her own money was spent to make sure that her credit was ruined, to make sure that this show was seen in New York. And so I give her. Um, most of the credit for making that show successful. Wow. Yeah. It's good to have friends. (laughs) (laughs) But it's, it's, it really moves people. People are really touched by it. I mean, every, you know, all the, all the press that I've seen around it, people are universally um, really, uh, yeah, really moved by, by the piece. Yeah. It's, it's a tearjerker. What, what was fun with me in the very first run, I, I was in the booth doing all the sound and, uh, lights and I would sit up in the booth and I would I wouldn't watch the show I would watch the audience that was my mm-hmm. like 
come on, cry, come on, come on, cry. Um, and when the lights go out, so the, the guys would die, um, the two leads would die on stage, and then they didn't get a curtain call mm. because we didn't think it was appropriate. Some people didn't like that idea, but we didn't give them a curtain call. They knew it. They The actors knew it. And when the lights came up after everybody else took a curtain call and the boys never came out, people would sit there in silence. Mm. And you'd hear nothing. Nobody would get up and you'd just hear sniffling and, you know, wheezing, crying. And it was, as, as theater, because I know the show is sad, I wrote it, I... When I was doing the research, I broke down and because I was getting to know these people, um, I broke down. And so all my breaking down had already passed. So now the theater experience of watching something move people so much where they would sit in silence and tears and cry. I'm like, that's theater. That is what theater is about. It's about making people feel something. Yeah. Um, and so it's really special to me and really important to me. And, you know, we pretty much successfully every time um, we've d- redone the show. And then last year, um, another company did it. And then it moved to another theater with another company um, directed by actually Brie Pavey, the one who uh, is responsible for the success of it. Um, and then it was in, I want to say Baltimore, Maryland did it. Some company did it there. Um, but it's not published. It's not with Sam French. I think they denied it because there was another similar show. Oh um, no! But that's okay. That's okay. I'm not looking for. Plus, as a writer, like you don't want people to touch your stuff. <laughs> 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 you know, I mean, you do because you're going to make a lot of money. But I'm very, I'm very weird about because um, I've seen what I've done with other people's shows. Um, <laughs> How do people find it then if, if it's not a Sam French? Oh. Um, Twitter, you know, Twitter did. Oh. That's how Marilyn found out about it, Twitter. Mm. Um, I wish that more people knew about it um, and, and wanted to do it. But um, I don't know. I don't know. It's well, my, so if anyone's listening to this podcast and they want to do it, do they just Twitter at you? Like, how do they find it? Twitter, Twitter <laughs> at me? Um, they will, I don't know. They'll... Uh, text me no uh yeah <laughs> facebook twitter we're on twitter it's uh we are columbine on twitter uh they can look at that stuff and and send us a message that's how uh, baltimore um got it but i'm, I'm thinking of writing it into a novel because mm. again there's important information about what happened that nobody ever talks about um mm. so yeah, one of the small, I'll tell you one of the small things that that nobody knew um, was that this was before September 11th. This was April of 99. And they were talking about uh, planes going into the World Trade, or into New York City. Sorry, not mm. World Trade, to New York City, about flying planes into New York City and destroying as many people as possible. Um. And then September, and, and he said, you know, and then September 11th happened, and that was one of the killer's birthday was September 11th. Oh wow! And so that was very interesting that 
he he wanted somebody to do that, you know, on his birthday because they did it on Hitler's birthday. Right. And so he wanted someone to do that on his birthday. And it, and it happened on his birthday. It was crazy. Wow, it's crazy. It's crazy information. Yeah, I'd never heard that. Yeah. <sighs> it's fun. Is is this um am I boring you? No, I this is <laughs> I mean it, things things were getting things were getting heavy, but I'm, I'm not I'm, I know, I'm not bored. I'm, yeah. bo- I'm boring myself. <laughs> well, what do you want to do? You have, what do you have coming up, like show wise? Like, is there what's what's the next project that's happening that you're that you're really you know super excited about? I'm writing a play right now, um, about death. So let's get deep, okay? Ready? Let's get. Deep. Let's do it. Right. Um, let's, let's do it. You know, some of us have had our moms die at a young age. Um, oh, who could you be talking about? Are you talking about anyone on this podcast right now? Me and you. Yes. Um, <laughs> and so I, so my mom died when I was six, uh, followed very shortly after by my dad. And, and my, yeah, my mom died when I was eight. Eight, right. Um, and you can't help but think as you grow into an adult, what would I be if that had not happened? Where would I be? What would I do? And some woman, a very close friend of mine, I said some woman, but she's actually a close friend of mine. Um, <laughs> her name is Stephanie. When I told her, because I don't talk about it often. So when people find out, they often, oh my gosh, you know, you get that, you know. Um, when I told her, she looked at me and she said, what a gift. And I looked at her at first. I was like, how, What? Why would you say that? And then it clicked to me. I was like, hold on a second. I need to investigate this. Mm. She's right. And I thanked her for saying that because Mm. I wouldn't be where I am today if it hadn't happened. Life's would be, would have been completely uh, changed, different. Who knows what would happen? Um, So how... How, what would have happened if it hadn't happened? So I'm exploring that by this play that I'm almost done with. It's going to be produced this year at some point soon um, about a woman. And so um, half of the stage, she were he- seeing the story of if her mom had never died and half of the stage, if her mom had uh, that her mom did die. Mm. Um, the question is, the question that this play uh, proposes is um, w- are you better off that your parent dot people have to take care of their parents when they're old. Um, they get to know their parents. They have to watch their parent die. When you're young, is it better that you lose your parents at a young age and it's over? You never have to worry about that again. You, a lot of good things come of that, but a lot of bad things too. Or getting to know your parents, because they're going to die, whether it's when you're young or when you're old. But is it better that they're already gone when you're young or you have to watch them pass on? And so it explores that conversation. Um, I love that. I love that. Because, yeah, I mean, like I've, I've found that, like, you know, for 
for a long period of time, I was sort of like, you know, the person that people would come to to talk about like death and grief and stuff. And then there hit this point sort of in my like mid to late 30s where I stopped feeling like any kind of authority because it was like the the relationship that people were having as their parents were dying as they were older, I was like, I don't have any perspective on what it's like to mourn that, you know, That's like, right. and especially, you know, with my mom, I mean, my, but I was still, I was, um, my dad had a stroke when I was 20, uh, five. And then he passed, uh, when I was, 33 so even that's pretty young you know and so like as yeah. people yeah like you know towards uh late 30s and early 40s i was like i don't know what that what that relationship is like you know like what what you're losing is is totally different from from what i lost you know it's so, so that's cool yeah. i love i love that you're that you're thinking through those things my my sisters um i had a hard time with it as a kid really hard time with it as a kid part partly how i was raised um, my childhood wasn't miraculous. Luckily, theater saved me. Um, but um, what it, my, my sisters say all the time, they're like, well, you know, it's sad because our mom, blah, blah. And I say, look, you, we, you wouldn't have your children. You wouldn't have your husbands that you're in love with, that you met, that are your soulmates. Um, you have these beautiful children that, you, that would never have existed if this had never happened. So it had to happen for this to happen. It had to happen. So, you know, I'm not saying they're sad about it. I'm just, we talk about it, you know, we, we openly yeah. speak of it. Um, and so it's like at the times that they're sad uh, or I'm sad, it's like, get over it. This would never have happened if, um, if, if that had not occurred. So, well, and I don't think it's a matter of like get over it. It's it's almost exactly what you're dramatizing in the show where it's like both of those things coexist in the same space. You know, it's like the right. sadness and the I wish it wouldn't have happened and the joy of realizing that my life exists because it happened. Like those things have to they're on stage at the same time. So I think that's yeah, a profound way to to think through that. And your relationships with other people because if you know when people die now, you know, you lost you as in us, you know, the most important person to us, you know, the most important person to us in the world ever passed away. So not saying that everybody else is, is not as important, but we've already had the most terrifying experience, the most traumatic experience. So when other people in our lives, well, at least mine, I can't speak for you, but when other people die, it's, that's really sad, but I don't have any emotion. I mean, I do have emotion, but it's not as it's going to happen. Um, I, I can break off a relationship, friend or romantic, much easier now. And I don't know if that's a gift or a curse, but <laughs> but it's much easier to, to let go of something uh, in your life and be okay with it and move on. Because we've had to move on from something that traumatic. Or I, I'm sorry, I, I keep speaking for you. Well, I mean, it's similar. Yeah, it's a, it's definitely, yeah, there's, I, I think that, yeah, motherless children have a similar, similar trajectory, um, you know, no matter how different circumstances can be. But so, yeah, no, I don't, I don't mind you <laughs> speaking and, in the plural. And, and so when, you know, when I meet somebody who also had a mother uh, pass away or a father pass away at a young age, I'm like family come do a show i'm just kidding right 
Well, but yeah, I mean, it's kind of true though, right? Your family. Um, but I understand them a lot more. You know, it's easier to understand somebody who went through a similar tragedy. It's crazy. I come from, I, I uh, I'm not going to go into that personalities. I, I love, I wish I was a ther. I wish I was a psychologist because I, I think I get people, but I don't have the, um, education to back up my theories. <laughs> um, but Behavior is one of the most interesting things to me. How somebody would act, uh, you know, this in this play in particular, how this girl would be now, and what she would be if if it had never happened. And and actually, in the play, she doesn't get along with her mom. She never mm. got along with her mom. Her mom was a horrible person. Um, and I'm what I'm exploring with that is I know a lot of people who don't have great relationships with their mom. And I say, wow, that's crazy because you have a mom. Right. And so how could it be anything but love? But, you know, they have terrible relationships. So I created this character to have a terrible relationship with her mom. So what's better, losing your mom or having a terrible relationship with her? Right. But everything's patched up at the end. And I hope you come see it. Yeah, I would love to. I mean, I gotta, you know, I, I sort of feel like after having been out in L.A., you know, several times in the past few years, I sort of feel like more more comfortable out there and more sort of like oh yeah my second home out in la and in in some some way too expensive too expensive well yeah (laughs) it's crazy expensive oh my god in the last 10 years it went from affordable to oh my god what 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 do i have to do now to afford to live here it's horrible Mm. horribly expensive there's people with 47 roommates in a one-bedroom apartment not me well, speaking of second homes, I would love to like uh, round this out, or or before we round out the our chat here, I would love for you to talk about Sicily. Oh speaking of family, thank you for asking about that. I love that subject. My dad was born, uh, born and raised in Sicily, and then he moved here and met my mom. Um, and so my, I still have family there. I have my uncle. Um, my dad's brother who lives there. And so I go every chance I can. It's the most, it's my favorite place on earth. People send pictures of their favorite place on earth. And I'm like, no, no, it it compares nothing to this. (laughs) Um, It's just, it's so beautiful. Everything is beautiful. The people, the food. I have so many great friends and family there and, you know, second cousins, third cousins, uh, uh, and it's so old there that it's so old there that my cousin is like 80. That's how old <laughs> it is. <there. laughs> um, it's just beautiful. Uh, have you been? Oh, I was in Italy very briefly, but I've never been to Sicily. Okay. Okay. It's so different. I have no interest in Italy. I don't. It, it's, it's Sicily. It's just, it's so perfect and beautiful. The beaches are blue, um, bright, bright blue. I, I've taken two friends there with me. Um, my dream as a kid when I've been there is like, I want to bring somebody who's never been here and has no uh, strings to hear to show them this. And I've brought in the last 10 years, two friends uh, with me and any and and so my friends i don't have many rich friends my my friends are uh you know theater people um so it's hard to find somebody who has the money to go but i'm always willing to be like look i'm going if you want to come with let's go it's great 
Uh, well, I'm going to scrape together my money at some point and make you take me. Yes. I would love to go Let's and go. see it from from the inside, you know, see it with uh, with sort of, you know, someone who's very deeply um, familiar with it. See it, see it from your perspective. So I'm trying to go again this summer, if I can wrangle up the money, come with. Um, and I'm going to take a tour that I've never taken before, which is the whole I'm going to try to go the outline of Sicily and go to every beach. Well, not every oh, cool. beach. I can't do every beach, but I'm going to try to tour around. Because usually I just stay in the small town in the center of the island. Um, but I, I, and then I go to the beach every once in a while. But I, I want to I wanna really see. What's great about Sicily, it's been owned by so many different um, nationalities in, the, in, the, in its past that there's all kinds of different types of churches and mm. um, uh, mosques that are turned into churches over the years. Um, just very beautiful. How much Italian do you speak? Poco. Very little. <laughs> I spoke pretty good when I was a kid. And then every time I go back, it's, that's the heart. That's so funny. You touch on that subject. It's a touchy subject with me because my uncle speaks English. And so broken, very, very broken, but he speaks English. And so when I go there, I, I mean, it's a lot of fake sign language and, googling now uh or translating it's it's tough but it's tough to have a conversation with people because i don't speak i i speak it enough to get by um but they know i'm a foreigner so it's a little embarrassing so i just i just give up and just you know make a fool of myself to kind of make them laugh uh it's it's a lot easier than being embarrassed <laughs> I, I just wasn't sure yeah how uh where where your language skills were at but it's it's weird because the food there i could bring the same dish over here and it doesn't taste anything like it i don't know what the science is behind the air and the water um mm -hmm. but it's a completely different you could have the exact same recipe and uh it just doesn't taste the same so i go there for the food I love it. I yeah. I like I said. I'm gonna I'm gonna foist myself upon you at some point in this lifetime and go there with you. <laughs> Please, you and Brian, you're welcome. You guys can do a. I'll I'll uh, try to get a uh, amphitheater. Um, <laughs> for I'm I'm nothing over there. Nothing, but I'll try. <laughs> Well, Paul, thank you so much for being on the podcast with me today. This was an amazing conversation. I knew we were going to have like zillions and zillions of things to talk about. Yes, thank you for having me. I, I've been looking forward to this, and um, I, I could go three more hours with you, Allison. This is great. <laughs> well, is there anything else you want to shout out? You've got the the show coming up that you're finishing working on, and any other? Do you have like social media places where you want people to come and find you, yeah, or sure. um, more information? Oh, I'm the I'm the creator and the president of the Valley Theater Awards, and we're it's a theater of 400 people getting awards for all the theater in the Valley near Los Angeles. Um, and so that's coming up. Just wanted to say that. And then um, uh, for me, I think my Twitter is real, real Paul Storiel. Um, Cause there's a fake one out there trying to be me. Uh, <laughs> and that's my Instagram, I guess not Twitter, Twitter. I think it's the same. Yeah. I'm not very, and I'll, I'll, link, I'll link to it all in, uh, in the show notes on, uh, on my blog. Oh, yeah, my TikTok is great too. My TikTok. I'm just kidding. I Are you know. on TikTok? I, I am, but I don't tell anybody what my name is because <laughs> just in case of failure, I hate failure. 
<laughs> I'm not on TikTok, so I mean, I I would I would uh, promote it for you if 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 you wanted to, but um, I won't find you because I'm not on it myself. So <laughs> you have to get a TikTok. They're so fun. Well, I mean, the ones that I've seen are like really really funny and amusing. So I may be I may be tempted. I I love my technology. Yeah, I was gonna buy. Well, until you said that, I was gonna call you Boomer. <laughs> no, I'm in that little abandoned uh, generation that doesn't really have a name. Oh my god, I know we're so abandoned. That's right. It's it's totally abandoned because yeah. even Brian and I were just talking because he's like he's end of Gen X. I mean, just fully, you know, because he's he's sort of um yeah he was born in '73, but. Uh, yeah, 79 is not really a generation that exists, unfortunately. And I was thinking real quick, I know we're in a hurry to go, but uh, Leap Year, um, I think was yesterday. Um, anyway. Um, no, it's today. It's today. But yeah, but I was helping you because your podcast oh. goes out. Uh... <laughs> we're, we're recording. We're recording on Leap Day, uh, but it will, right. will debut in March. Yes. Um, you know, you could have, if you're 28 years old and your birthday's on Leap Year, you could say you're 28 for four years. It's true. But then you, and, yeah, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to make the Pirates of Penzance joke. You know, I was born in leap year for all of our theater nerds that are going to be listening to this. Theater nerds. Um, yeah, thank you again. And um, I miss you, your bright, shiny, smiling face. No, I miss you too. It was so wonderful to, again, just be with you in LA. And I'm sure we'll be back pretty soon. Good. Let me know. I'll hook you up. <laughs> Thank you so much, Paul. Bye. So, if you live in the Los Angeles area, be sure to check out Paul's improv classes and make yourself some new lifelong friends. If you're a Facebook user, look up when the next classes will be running on the Defiance Productions profile there, or just go to defiancetheatercompany.com. And of course, be sure to keep an eye on Paul's social media accounts for more information and behind-the-scenes hilarity. He's on Instagram at TheRealStoryAl, and on Twitter as PaulStoryAl. And if you're not in L.A., you can still stream Gossip Boy, which I'm so sorry that we didn't remember to talk about at all during that chat. Uh, it's up on Amazon Prime, both season one and season two. And if you or someone you know are interested in staging a production of The Columbine Project, you can get in touch uh, through Twitter at WeAreColumbine or send a message to thecolumbineproject at gmail.com. All these links will be in the show notes over on my blog at queenofpeaches.com. Thanks so much for listening. Bye for now.